When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello, Cricket Badgers everywhere. Welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. I'm James, taking you through the podcast this week. As always, to start with, a big apology. I promised you at the start of the year, my New Year's resolution was going to be that I was going to bring out the Cricket Badger podcast without fail every single week, and I've failed you already. There is a reason. I'll get to that in just a second. But I will endeavour, I promise, to try and get the Cricket Badger podcast out weekly from now on as we go through the rest of 2020. Got some fantastic guests lined up and got a great guest on the show this week. Simon Hughes, the former player, Middlesex and Durham bowler, author, the analyst, commentator and TV face that you'll recognise, is answering the Cricket Badger 20 questions this week. Really good to have Simon on the show. I met Simon at the Chester Literature Festival a couple of years ago. I interviewed him on stage about his book, How to Be a Batsman. If you're looking for a book, by the way, a cricket book, then you won't go too far wrong with one of Simon's. Really good writer, very engaging tone. I really have enjoyed reading Simon Hughes's books down the years, and it's worth going back and having a look at his books if you've not already discovered his work as an author. But we dig into his brain this week on the Cricket Badger podcast as he takes on the Badger 20 questions. And he comes up with some very, very fine answers as well. Two reasons why the podcast hasn't been out on time. First one, I've been really busy. I've been doing tennis commentary. I've been doing cricket football. I've been doing all sorts of different stuff. So I have been snowed under with work, which as a freelancer, I am not going to complain about. There have been many weeks in my working life where I haven't had enough work. At the moment, I've got plenty. And that's a really good thing. So I'm not going to complain about that. But it is a reason why I've been sidetracked a tad. And the other one was I was quite affected by the death of Caroline Flack, her tragic suicide. I'm a big Love Island fan. That's, I'm a bit of a sado in that respect. But, you know, a terrific, beautiful young woman and taken from us far too early. And I just wanted to use the platform that I have on this podcast just to say to people out there, I've suffered from mental illness in the past. We've talked about it on the podcast with Graham Fowler, with other guests before and it's a, it's a massive issue. It's a horrible thing. It really is a horrible thing to suffer from. If you've got anxiety or depression, it weighs you down. It changes your life. It makes everything really hard. The hopelessness, the paranoia if you're outside 
in public everything just gets really difficult and it's not a pleasant experience at all and the way i got out of it was talking to people i spoke to people you have to admit that you have an issue and you're struggling and it's the hardest thing to do when you you're in you're in that situation to actually lay yourself open and expose all of your demons and all of your frailties but it is the only way to do it so if you are struggling out there and you really do feel like the world is weighing heavily on your shoulders just talk to somebody because it can make a massive difference and it doesn't change things overnight but you'll start to appreciate that the sun comes up each morning and that there are things to look forward to so that that's one side of it and you know if, if you've never suffered from a mental health issue then a i'm very pleased for you but b you don't understand how debilitating it is it is absolutely horrible and in the same way that you know i encourage people to talk to other people also encourage people to listen to people if they open up and they start to talk to you then the worst thing you can do is judge people you don't even need to find the answers you know somebody said to me once you know snap out of it it's not can't be that bad and that isn't what somebody that's suffering from depression needs to hear you don't need to find the answers you don't need to come up with something groundbreaking just listen just be that person that listens and nods shakes your head in the right moments and is just there for somebody that is massively important it really is so i'm not going to take up any more time on this week's cricket badger podcast by talking about that but if you want to talk to me about it then cricketbadger at hotmail.com more than happy to have a chat with anybody on that subject because i think what the caroline flack thing whether you like love island or not what the caroline flack thing has reminded me really we do need to help each other in this world it's a simple thing it matters and if just one of you out there listening is assisted by what i've just said then it was worth saying it so anyway that's uh, that's enough of my sermon on mental health at the start of this podcast let's get back to the cricket let's get back to simon hughes who this week is taking on the cricket badger 20 questions it's that badger style Cricket Badger Fact File Simon Peter Hughes Former Middlesex and Durham Pace Bowler 466 first class wickets with a best bowling of 7 for 35 272 one day wickets with a best of 5 for 23 Author Broadcaster Journalist Welcome to the podcast to the analyst Let's have a badger chat Pleasure then on this week's Cricket Badger podcast to welcome Simon Hughes to the show. How are you, Simon? Fine. Good, actually. Yeah, I'm a little bit drowning in content at the moment with um, a book I'm trying to write about the business of cricket. Okay. What kind of angle is that then in terms of the business of it? Principally about the IPL and how it transformed the business of, uh, the business of cricket and the business of sport. Yeah. Okay. When, when is that due out? When we can get it published. So <laughs> could be... Two months, three months, could be never. There's one to keep an eye out for. Then. We'll talk about your, your writing in a second, but you're, you're going to take on the Cricket Badger podcast 20 questions this week. And if you're ready, we'll start with question number one. If not cricket, which kind of route would you have gone down with your life, do you think? I don't know what I would have gone down, but I would have liked to have been a keyboard player in a band. I played a bit of keyboard when I was 18 and actually ended up playing the church organ in a church. And I really loved 
any kind of keyboard playing. So I would like to have actually done that. Um, I can't really think of any other obvious route except that I always like writing and I wrote columns and sort of match reports when I was 11, 12. So probably uh, ending down the writing route. Yeah, Dad was an actor, wasn't he? Did, was that never anything that you fancied following in his footsteps? With? No, I was never had any talent at it, actually. And don't think I was probably ever considered for a, a decent path in my life. So, no. <laughs> Who was the biggest influence in your cricketing career? Uh, as a kid, probably Brian Luckhurst, who played for Kent, and I tried to imitate everything that he did as a batsman, and obviously that didn't work. So I suppose uh, Ian Botham, uh, as a, an inspiring player when I was late teens, uh, my father was, was a great help, uh, ferrying me everywhere, and he was a cricket coach, so he would give me simple bits of advice. So I, I suppose those three people, really. And you obviously played with Ian Botham and you at Durham when that, that first started out. Yeah, and, and that, that was a, a great experience. I mean, that certainly watching him on telly and then playing against him was challenging and, and interesting. Uh, but then playing with him was, was very illuminating because you saw then what drove him and why he was so successful. And I think that rubbed off on, on many of us playing with him. What's it like to share a dressing room with a somebody that's been a hero of yours. Yeah, I mean, obviously by the time I played with him, I'd played against him a fair bit yeah. and knew lots of people who knew him, you know, England colleagues and so on. So I knew him pretty well. So it wasn't uh, particularly daunting or anything, actually. And I was, I was really looking forward to it. And we, we hit it off very well. So I found it incredibly uplifting. Uh, I just left my position at Middlesex and sort of was wanting a, a new challenge and he was there to to inspire us all so it was it was fantastic actually and he was very generous with his sort of hospitality and encouragement so it was it was everyone's a winner really. Next question you've had two careers effectively within cricket obviously the playing days and then the post playing days so I'm going to try and get two answers out of you for the next question but What's been your best moment in cricket? If I could take you back to a, a day to relive again as a player first, what would you, where would you take me? Probably to Worcester for the Gillette Cup second round, or it might have been a quarter final uh, against Worcestershire, Middlesex, uh, Middlesex Worcestershire. And uh, I came on the bowl. It was my first season, and I was very sort of um, naive, I suppose, but also excited. And I came on to bowl in this knockout game with the great Glenn Turner, the New Zealand opening batsman, who was a fantastic player on strike. And they had no wickets down. I think they were about 40 or 50 for none. And it was slightly, you know, I was slightly apprehensive, I suppose. Anyway, I ran into bowl and he took me for 10 off, his first, off my first over. And so that didn't look too good. But then my second over, I got bowled him out and the other opener. And I think took four wickets in that game, and I was man of the match. So I changed the game for sure because they they declined from sort of 50 for none to 120 all outs, and we actually won the game by 10 wickets. And I was made man of the match, and uh, it was incredibly exciting. Just total you know, luck of beginner's luck, really, and uh, a, a, a very exciting day generally we went on to win the, 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 the cup that year and I played in the final 
So that that whole season was just the. I was on cloud nine. Was that one of those moments where, as a, as a, a young player, you started to think, "I can do this now"? Because I know everybody speaking to a lot of cricketers, they everybody has self doubt to some degree, and there's certain moments where you start to think, "I actually belong at this level." No, I, I wouldn't say I did actually. I, I think one of the reasons that Mike really was to get annoyed with me is because I, I wasn't very confident that I belonged. I always thought it was I was a bit lucky and didn't take it perhaps as seriously or I wasn't as focused perhaps as I should have been because I didn't think it was necessarily a career that, that, that would hold me together for, for long. So actually I didn't believe I belonged until you know some, some time later really. If I told you then that you were going to be still talking about cricket and working in cricket all of these years later, you'd have probably laughed at me. Well, the only thing I'd say about that is that I was obsessed by cricket when I was six and wrote about it. I mean, my mum still got some, something I wrote at primary school when I was six or seven all about some test match and Colin Cowdery and Brian Luckhurst. And I think I probably would have been still interested in the game and hopefully working at it into my 50s, uh, even if I hadn't played, in, in maybe. I, you know, one doesn't know. I might have ended up as a commentator or something instead. Uh, so it's difficult to say. But I, I, in a way, if you had said to me, aged 21, first season, you'll still be involved with cricket when you're 60, I would have actually said, great. I'll ask you the same question. Then. What's been your best moment in cricket post-retirement from playing? Because obviously you've been involved in writing, commentary... You've become known as the analyst as well, haven't you? Well, what, if you could take me back to a day in that kind of era of your life, where would you take me? Probably to uh, winning the William Hill Sports Book of the Year Award in 1997, because that was all my own work, if you like. Whereas yeah. you're playing in a cricket team or working on a broadcast, you know, it's a lot of team of people. With a book, you know, it is pretty much your own piece of writing, your own narrative. I worked pretty hard on that book. And in fact, when I first tried to get a publisher, you know, several people, including friends, sort of said, oh, you know, that's not going to sell. That's not going to be very successful. I don't think you're right to do that. And I persisted with it. And I'm glad I persisted with it because I think it, it really came out well. And obviously I won this award. And that really set me up for, for TV. So... That day in November, when I was announced as the winner, was probably the proudest day of my life, professionally. Was that for a lot of hard yakka? Yeah. I was, I was actually talking to somebody t- totally separate to our conversation today, and they mentioned that book, and so that's their favourite cricket book, and funny, informative, all the rest of it. I know I read it quite a few years ago now, and really enjoyed it as well. And For a first stab at actually sticking the book out, this was a pretty decent effort. Yeah, uh, it was based on lots of columns that I'd written in earlier years and diaries that I kept because as a player, I was always interested in writing. So I wrote lots of notes of what's going on in the dressing room and those little diaries were invaluable. I interviewed you actually on stage and I feed for one of your books yeah. and yeah. At, a, at a literature festival and you mentioned that a big influence on your writing was Nick Hornby, wasn't it? And the style of his writing. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, very engaging, lots of emotion uh, that, that Hornby produced in Fever Pitch. The feelings he had watching Arsenal and being with his dad. And yeah, so I think that's what people like to read, actually, is you know, how you were feeling. 
Let's flip that question then to your worst moment in cricket. As a player, if I could take you back to a day and you'd say, no, I don't want to go there, which would be that day that you just want to avoid and trying to wipe from your memory? Bowling to Neil Smith, 1989, that was final, 10 to win. And it's funny because 10 to win in those days seemed quite a lot. You know, and I was expected to be able to defend 10 off and over fairly comfortably and I had done in the semi-final and second ball he slogged me for six over long off and we lost and that was uh, it was the decision to bowl a slower ball uh, would haunt me forever because he didn't necessarily see that it was a slower ball but it gave him the time to swing at it and he connected and that was the end of the game or effectively the end of the game I bowled a wide next ball so pretty much gave Warwickshire the victory so I suppose if I could you know, have my time again, I'd try and bowl a Yorker there instead and maybe would have won. But 10 off and over nowadays, you know, a batsman is sort of expected to get that off two balls, aren't they? So, yeah. so if, if you defended that as a bowler, you'd be a hero these days, wouldn't you, rather than expected? You would, yeah, definitely. So although it was a, a very sad day, I suppose there is some consolation for knowing that actually 10 runs wasn't all that many, really. Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. And post-playing career, any dark days when you've, after you've finished cricket? Do you mean privately or publicly? I mean in your career. I don't want to delve too deep, so... <laughs> Um, probably, well, yes, I mean, uh, the day that Channel 4 lost the rights would be our darkest day. Um, I was actually in South Africa covering England's tour at the end of 2004 and got a phone call from a friend saying, Channel 4 have got nothing, Sky have got everything. And that was a really dark day because we felt we'd created a great reputation both for ourselves and the game on Channel 4, and suddenly it was all being taken away, and that was really a sad day. That was a big moment for cricket as well. I mean, everybody's talking over the last 18 months about free-to-air television, and, and obviously that was, Channel 4 was free-to-air. That Ashes series, 2005, helped by the fact it was such a fantastic series, obviously, but everybody's got very fond memories of that Channel 4 coverage, and you in a, in a kind of um, wagon outside the back doing all your analysis and what have you. It was, a, it was a big moment, wasn't it? To go behind a paywall, it has affected cricket quite dramatically. And we, we said, we warned the, the bosses at the time that it would have a dramatic effect, and they didn't listen. It was, it was really disappointing. Put it to Sky, because, you know, they, A, they coughed up a lot of money, and B, they, they showed, you know, tremendous commitment. So it's not their fault. It's the no. fault of the ECB and Channel 4, who together didn't come up with a good enough plan to share the coverage and you know still make plenty of money out of the rights but still have the exposure I mean the game has been playing catch-up ever since in terms of participation and awareness because 
in spite of the, the, the broadcasting skills of Sky, they only reach, you know, a third of the population. So it's just hadn't, it, 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 was, a, it was a very drastic mistake by the ECB at the time, which we all on Channel 4 warned them about and tried to encourage them not to make, but they didn't listen. In terms of your analyst tag, and obviously, as I, as I just mentioned, you became quite famous in that summer of 2005 for delving into the minutiae of the pictures, and it's happened since, obviously, with other people. But was that something that you, you went out and looked for? Is that something that the, the producers gave to you and you've, you've kept ever since? I was the person who sort of thought of it, really. Uh, it started in the late 90s when I was working for, for BBC on test match coverage, and I'd spend some of my time in the videotape trucks out the back, or the wagons, as you like to call them, sort of just seeing what was going on behind the scenes because I wasn't commentating. I was only a reporter, so there wasn't much to do during the day. I only did stuff in intervals. So during the day, I'd spend a, bit, a fair bit of time in trucks, kind of looking at the VTs and looking at the replays and the various tools and, and pieces of kit they had. And I got talking to them about what more we could do. And actually, Richie Benno was an encouraging influence because he said, oh, you should make some pieces uh, about, you know, reverse swing or particular types of batting and bowling and we can run those in you know maybe in lunchtime or whatever which they never did but he inspired me to look more deeply into the game and basically when channel four won the rights off the bbc i approached them immediately and said i think i i'm capable of making lots of interesting little pieces that can go in between overs or you know in in during intervals and that's how it kind of came about. It was their idea to then put, actually put me in the truck. I didn't think that I was going to actually sit there all day, but in the end, it, it worked out really well. But in effect, you, were, you, you watched the entire 2005 Ashes series that everybody remembers as being you know, a huge summer of cricket from the car park, really, didn't you? Yeah, from, you know, on 24 different monitors. And <laughs> actually, in some cases, I think during that series, or certainly the year before, there wasn't any room in the car park for one of the trucks. So we were down the road uh, at the Oval. We were in the Tesco's car park instead of the Oval one. Handy for a snack, anyway. Going back to one of the previous questions, we, we talked about the biggest influence on your career, but was there a poster boy when you were young? Was there somebody that you really looked up as a, to as a player and thought, I really want to be that person? Uh, well, I, I mean, Brian Luckhurst opened the batting, and I always liked to think I could be an opening batsman. So I suppose... His sort of image, I like the way he played. I actually uh, had a bat that, that he were, used a Lillywhite bat, which I don't think exists anymore. And I kind of drew a badge down the back of my bat, which mimicked his his uh, logo. So I tried to copy him initially, um, but obviously I realised, I soon realised I wasn't going to be good enough at batting to, to be able to do anything like he, uh, as well as he did. So from then on, uh, I didn't really have anyone, I suppose. I mean, Botham was everybody's hero. Uh, I didn't have anyone specifically I tried to copy, though, I suppose. You say that because I, I, I grew up as a Kent supporter um, when I was young because my mum's side of the family had come from down in Kent and I used to go down to the Canterbury Cricket Week and Chris Cowdery was my hero. And I used to resent Ian Botham because he was keeping Chris Cowdery out of the England team. You know how <laughs> kind of strange your, skewed your opinions come when you actually really mm. kind of rate somebody. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, looking back now, I think this selector's probably made the right decision, generally speaking, because uh, Ian Burton <laughs> was rather good. If you could live in the skin of a current cricketer, if you could be them for a day, you have their skill, you have their life, you, you have all the pressures and all of the glory that they get, who would you choose as a current player? Be Joss Butler, I'd say. 
I like his approach to cricket. I think he's very individual, but he doesn't appear to take it too seriously. He just has a very nice sort of attitude to the game. He's not a bowler, and I, I think bowling is a mugs game, basically. Uh, so he's a batsman with incredible skill and obviously a wicketkeeper, and he can be a brilliant fielder. So he's always involved in the game, and he's a good thinker on cricket. Uh, he travels all around the world. He's you know, greatly in demand. And he, he's just he's a greatly feared and respected player while appearing to re- retain a sort of air of nonchalance, which I really like. They say all rock stars want to be sportsmen. Generally speaking, I think sportsmen want to be rock stars. If you could have been famous doing something else, what would you have liked to have done? Um, well, I'd suppose, I suppose two things. I'd say two things. One would be play you know, in an amazing stadium, play keyboards in an amazing stadium and play an incredible solo uh, on, a, on a record, um, play, play an amazing solo. And then the second thing maybe would be to, to produce our to produce a spectacularly good movie. I mean, I, I'm quite friendly with Sam Mendes, and I just went to that 1917 film, and it blew my mind so much so that I went back and watched it again. And I'd love to have been able to do something like that, totally left field, a, a, a stunning and groundbreaking documentary or film. I want to jump on a question, because it relates to, uh, to filmmaking. Um, they're going to make Yoss of the movie about your life. Who is going to play you? Uh, that's a really impossible question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I have no idea. It's just so difficult to think of someone who would be appropriate. Um, I mean, if I if I could choose anyone, my favourite actor is Leonardo DiCaprio. So if I could choose him, but I don't think his character is much like mine. Yeah, but that's why he's an actor, Simon, isn't it? You know, he basically morphs himself into Simon Hughes and becomes you. Yeah. Well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> if you could meet anybody, living or dead, who would you like to meet? It's that old sort of dinner party question. Who would you like to have uh, a pint with and, and choose the fat with? Yeah, interesting. Um, well, I don't know why I say this, really, but I'd say... Um, I mean, it would be a writer, probably, because I just admire the way that people use words. So someone like Roddy Doyle or William Boyd, those, those would be my two of my favourite authors, uh, people who just have a beautiful way with words, descriptive, concise, funny. If it was a personality, I'd say Tommy Cooper. Right, I mean, yeah. Tommy Cooper was a genius. And I even now watch his old movies, his old, you know, programs. As soon as he walks on stage, I start laughing. Well, the cricket budget is going to stretch to three points for you. You can have all three of them in the pub with you. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. The listenership is going up every single week. Thanks so much for your ears. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your likes, your subscribes. It's on every platform around the world. So make sure you listen. Tell your friends and contact the show too. Let us know what you think. Give us your ideas for future shows at cricket underscore badger on the Twitter feed. Cricket badger at hotmail.com on the emails. Thank you so much, badgers. Keep listening. Bucket list, things to do before you die. What would be the top item on your bucket list? <laughs> I'd like to be able to type better, actually. Uh, my typing is really terrible, and I'd like to, firstly, go to typing lessons. 
and actually be able to tie it without making hundreds of mistakes. I, I'd love to. I'd love to make a movie, really. Um, whether it's a documentary or a fictional story, I'd like to write, basically direct or produce a big film. And I'm working towards it, but haven't got there yet. Would that be in the sporting area or fiction or probably in the sporting area because I, that's what I know and I think there are always lots of interesting stories in sport and I, I particularly like the conflict in sports, the duels, the emotion, the, the, the antagonism created by two opponents and what that generates both on and off the field really. So uh, some, some, some sporting stories, some kind of duel between two great sportsmen, whether it's in a team context or an individual context. On a scale of 1 to 10, Simon Hughes, 10 is the Fonz. How cool are you? Uh, if you ask my kids, 1, in my eyes, probably about 4. <laughs> if you had access to a time machine, where and when would you like to go to to live in that era? Well, I'd say around 2004, because that was when the Channel 4 coverage of cricket was probably at its peak and 2005 and you know the cricket was was incredibly compelling my kids were young and we were having a great time together so and you know my body wasn't hurting from years of bowling hundreds of overs so probably in my sort of early 40s I'd say. If you could live anywhere in the world where would you choose to buy your house villa shack whatever? I, I really love London actually, which is where I live now. And I think it's so full of possibilities to do so many different things. Every time I think of somewhere else to live, whether it be Sri Lanka, New Zealand, Ibiza, south of France, I mean, those four places maybe spring to mind. I just think I'd be bored after a while. And London always satisfies my curiosity better than anywhere else. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you like to change? Probably my height, I'd say. I think it's nice to be six foot one rather than five foot nine. And uh, then it just gives you a bit more authority and you can see over the top of people at rock concerts. <laughs> kind of a slightly different version of that question. But if you could go back and change a decision you'd made or change a, a part of your life that you kind of look back and regret? Are there any kind of instances when you were playing or as a broadcaster or writer that you think, got that wrong, I wish I could go back and turn the clock? Uh, I'd say two things. I'd say early years, I didn't believe in myself enough and I should have trusted my ability more than I did. And because I didn't trust my ability at times, I think I sort of allowed myself to lose concentration or perhaps not apply myself to something as diligently as I should have done and therefore didn't produce the consistent results I was capable of. Uh, more recently, I wish I'd done more with the analyst as a concept to move that on uh, so that I could create a production company that would make the sorts of films that I was talking about before rather than living my life kind of day to day uh, at the whims of editors and producers. Yeah. I, I often think with the analyst, I mean, certainly when in the, yeah, around that Ashes summer, People that were people were dipping into cricket for the first ever time. There was, you know, it's a bit, little bit like this last summer with the World Cup success and what have you. And so a lot of people were turning the TVs on, not really knowing what cricket was. And I think your your little kind of salvos. I mean, some of them were, were quite complicated, obviously, because you, you delved down quite deep at times. But a lot of it was 
yeah, this is what cricket is, and this is what these guys are trying to do out there. And it, I think it opened cricket up to people. Well, it's nice of you to say that, and that was the aim, and that still is my aim. If I could get a role somewhere, either on radio or TV, doing exactly that, especially with the 100 arriving, which will try and tempt a new audience into watching the game. If I can find a way of, of getting them interested, then that satisfies two goals. One is... To, to do what I love doing, which is talking about cricket, and two is to get people involved in a, a fantastic sport. I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for a day, Simon Hughes. You get a big desk. You've got all the decisions to make. What would be the first one that you'd make to make cricket better? Maybe, yeah, might be in England, it might be around the world. But is there anything you'd change? Oh, there's lots of things to change. Um, I, I, I guess the two things that I'd try and change would be to get a, a structure to the calendar so that various T20 tournaments had their own priority space and then test cricket could fit around that and not to to blur the lines of of it by too many other tournaments. So to streamline the whole international calendar. And secondly, I think from a a spectator's point of view, better facilities in grounds, uh, including much better big screens and more information going back to keeping people interested in the game more information more explanation about the game to get people coming back because the experience of going to a game should be one that people want to you know come back more and more and i don't think that we are very good at, at sort of selling the game to people once they turn up the coverage is better on telly than it is in the ground and if you want to get people excited about cricket going to it i think we need to do better in grounds than we do i mean as far as test cricket is concerned we just need more players of the likes of Virat Kohli and Steve Smith to shout about it, promote it, and put their whole commitment into it. But if we don't streamline the calendar to, to make those players available at all times in Test cricket, then it will cease to become as important as it is now. Virat Kohli has become quite a key figure in cricket. <laughs> Indian captains always are, aren't they? But I think it's fantastic that he's come out quite a few times and said test match cricket is the pinnacle he's he stuck up for the right parts of cricket in my view and for him mm. to do that i think he's crucial isn't it because as soon as he as soon as he said i mean i don't know what your opinion is on four-day cricket mine's certainly that test match cricket should stick to five and as soon as he came out and said that the argument was almost won wasn't it mm. yeah that's true what will you be doing in 10 years time probably the same as i'm doing now trying to sell someone a book <laughs> trying to type faster yeah Final question, Simon Hughes, and thank you very much for coming on the Cricket Badger podcast this week. It's much appreciated. But if you'd been picking these questions, if you'd had yourself to interview, what question would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? <laughs> um, why did you bowl that no ball to Geoffrey Boycott when you got him out for North at Lord on his last appearance in the home of cricket? And your answer to that would be? Because I lost my run-up. And that, I would imagine that Geoffrey Boycott's probably reminded you of that. Uh, every time I see him. <laughs> Simon Hughes, absolute pleasure for you to come on the Cricket Budget Podcast. Obviously, your podcast as well. We'll give that a plug too because I'm perfectly happy for people to listen to other podcasts. It's all about cricket. It's all about listening to the game and enjoying the game of cricket. You're the analyst yeah. one. It's uh, doing rather well, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's doing all right. I mean, people seem to quite like it. So we'll carry on and we enjoy doing it. Hopefully people enjoy listening to it. I wish you all the best with that. wish you all the best for your book. Hope that comes out soon. And I wish you, uh, you every happiness for that next 10 years that we spoke about. Thanks so <laughs> Thank much for you. joining me. You too. It's that Badger style.
Thank you very much indeed to Simon Hughes this week for joining me on the Cricket Badger podcast. Really good chat with him this week and hopefully you've enjoyed that and enjoyed his answers. Some really good ones in there, I think. Plenty more guests lined up for future Cricket Badger podcasts. I'm going to try and get them out every week, I promise. We've got some really good ones to look forward to as we go through the next couple of months. I've actually got quite well organised. They're in the diary and I've got a bit of a plan. So, blimey, things are changing. If you like the Cricket Badger podcast, please, please, please take a little bit of time out on whatever platform you're listening to give it a five-star rating, give it a really good comment. It all helps to encourage other people to listen to it and that obviously helps the podcast. So if you could do that for me, that would be absolutely marvellous. If you've got any comments on this show or if you've got any comments on guests you want to see or what you want to see the Cricket Badger podcast do in the future, at cricket underscore badger on Twitter, cricketbadger at hotmail.com on the emails and i'd love to get back to doing i was trying to do about a year ago and that is to get a few of your voices on the cricket badger podcast too so if there's any particular bugbears if there's any issues around cricket if there's anything you want to get off your chest record up to a minute into your phone and send it in and you may find yourself on the cricket badger podcast at some stage in the future it can be on anything to do with cricket that you want it to be I do reserve the right to maybe edit it down a little bit, but just put it into your phone and send it to cricketbadger at hotmail.com and you may find yourself on future editions of the Cricket Badger podcast. Badgers everywhere. Thank you very, very much for joining me this week on the Cricket Badger podcast. Your ears are much appreciated. Your listening is much appreciated and your comments back are hugely appreciated. Until we meet again, plenty of cricket being played. So enjoy your cricket. See you next week. Podcast Network.